Hey, what's going on, guys? Well, I thought I'd sit down, record a brand new solo episode for you. So we're just into the new year, finished up 2019. So finished up the year in a decade. It's just absolutely wild looking back on it. And then just always has me looking towards the future. 2020, a new hunting season is upon us. You know, uh, the the preparation, uh, the, the planning, it all starts now. You know, it's... Um, I just love this Western hunting lifestyle and then, you know, sharing it with you guys. And, um, you know, I, I'm always trying to to be consistently successful. I'm trying to have these great adventures and share that journey with you guys. And um, I know you guys are out there the same, working hard towards your goals and um, thinking about hunts and adventures you have coming up this year. So we'll get right into it. Just want to take a minute and thank our sponsors. I want to thank Everly Stock Packs. Um Boy, they've been with with me and Eastman's Elevated since the beginning. Um, those guys are great. They just uh, they're a great company. They build great packs. Their their packs um, they're built with such such craftsmanship and design, and they're they're built so durable. Their fabric and their um, you know their their stitching or the way they're put together. They actually back all their packs with a simple lifetime guarantee. Where if it breaks because of workmanship or defect in the material or bad design, they just fix it. You just send it to them. They fix it. They send it back to you. And um, you know all the packs they have out. They've been building packs for our military for years. Uh, all the hunters they've been building packs for. Um, their warranty department, there's nobody in there. When I went to go visit their factory, they have one guy that, um, actually has another full-time job that'll get in there and repair a pack if it comes in out of the, the thousands, uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of packs they have out. So, um, just a great company. Uh, you know, you can have one pack that, that does it all. And I've done that for years when I'm on a budget, but, um, as the years go on, I find that I really like a specialty pack for what I'm doing. And so I've been using their Destroyer. It's like an expedition-style pack. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, it'll pack 7 to 10 days' worth of food. You can also get your deer in there. It's a soft-frame pack. It packs the weight really well, designed really well. Uh, I love that pack for big expeditions. Um, you know, and then I'm using the little big top for the in-between hunts, the little weekend hunts or five dayers. Uh, and then I've been using their kite day pack. I really like that kite day pack. And they actually just got me, um, we gave away one on the podcast, an M30 pack. It doesn't have a waist belt. It's like as light a weight pack as you could get. And I'm really into this for elk hunting. So you can move with the herd and stock with the herd and you don't have a big bulky pack on. You know, you can belly crawl or, um, you know, crawl if you need to and then just carry game bags in there. And if you kill something, you take a load back, you know, and you can also get your scope in there and everything you need. But just ultra lightweight so you can really be agile and hunt with it on your back. So I'm going to implement that into my hunting game plan as well and uh, pumped about that one. Um, but yeah, just want to thank Everly Stock. If you guys are in the market for, for a quality pack, uh, Everly Stock has a great price point and they build a great pack that's going to hold up for years of, of abuse or uh, I would say use, but for me it, it is abuse the way I uh, take my gear into the mountains and um, I use it to the, to the full extent. So thanks to Everly Stock. Um, over there at Eastman's, uh, we got some great Beyond the Grids out. Make sure to check out uh, Guy Eastman's Lion Hunt from last year. 
Um, I guess it got a little squirrely with that lion and the dogs. Uh, great episode. Uh, the one before that is um, Brandon Mason's son, Hunter Mason. Great episode. And then um, that elk um that you know, I did that elk hunting podcast a few epic episodes ago, a solo episode, and just talked about the epic elk hunting I had this season, hunting a couple different states, and um, the final one I ended on when I got into that that epic hunting was, um, you know, here in my home state of Montana, and we filmed that, and they put the film together, and um, it's out. Well, it's out this week on on Eastman's Hunting TV, so. You know what they air it for a week and then it'll replay. But um, yeah, just set your DVRs and check it out. I'm really proud of it. Um, yeah, I think it's the best work I've done. It's so tough to portray an actual public land bow hunt. You know, it's so difficult to kill a mature six point bull and then you stick a camera behind you. And man, I mean, yeah, I get I I you see me get frustrated. You see me miss, and then um, spoiler alert, you finally see me pull it all together gosh days of grinding through the storm and um yeah seven eight days in I finally ended up arrowing that really good heavy bull man just stoked so uh make sure to check that out or set your DVRs and um yeah let's get into this solo episode all right well a new year um yeah it just has me reflecting back what a great season I know I say that a bunch on the podcast um but gratitude is so important to me, like uh, humble, like uh, uh, just appreciating, you know, my life and where I'm at and what I get to do. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. I I think the key to being a successful Western hunter, it's easy. <laughs> um, you just have to love it. Uh, it. It has to be a priority in your life. And I know everyone listening out there loves it. And everybody does it for different reasons. And, um, you know, we all have you know, the days that we can get out and still manage our family and our work and, you know, there's limits on all of us. But I mean, to me, as a kid, it was limitless. I just wanted to live this this Western hunting lifestyle. I fell in love with bow hunting. Uh, I fell in love with everything about it, the hard work, the challenge. And then when I started to to live this Western bow hunting lifestyle where I, I begin to prepare 365 and I am putting in all this work and, and, and effort into my goals, it was, you know, and I transferred that from like high school wrestling. I loved high school wrestling and it was like the harder you work, the more you achieve. And I learned that lesson and, and pretty soon I'd start to just grind those stairs. I'd start to come in first pretty soon, like hard work. Um, it just came easy because I, I wanted, you know, the end goal was more important to me. It, you know, it was worth sacrificing for. And I think Western hunting's that way where I just absolutely love it. And I love, I love chasing giant critters. And I think, you know, as I, as I, as I'm getting older and I mature more and I have, I have less to prove to the world. Um, you know, it, it seems like, uh, when you're young, you have to put, you have to put your personality on something or you have to, and hunting was something that I could do that with, you know, I worked really hard at it. And, and so because I put in so much work, I, you know, I became fairly proficient at it. And then people start to respect that success that you have or that quality animal. And I, I, I guess I, I like that. But as I grow older, it's like, um, Man, I just um uh, I enjoy the the process and hunting so much and the adventure. And 
in years prior when I was first getting going, I think I put too much stress on my shoulders, you know, to where I wasn't enjoying the journey or the process or the challenge of it to where now I just love every minute, every day of being out there and being able to chase wild critters. I just appreciate it more. And I, I, so that's kind of the point I'm getting to with the start of this podcast is that anything you want to be good at in life just have to be passionate about it. you just have to love it you know and the the end goal has to mean more to you than um the sacrifices that you're willing to put in and so for me i've just embraced it um absolutely love it and want to learn everything about it you know and same way as you guys like listening to this podcast and other hunting podcasts gaining information getting better I, I remember like I would just read anything that had to do with western hunting with mule deer with elk um, you know, every book that's ever been written on the subject, I'd, I'd read cover to cover over and over, you know, and, um, and nowadays with the internet and it's the information day and age, there's so much out there, but I just remember just immersing myself in the Western hunting lifestyle. I loved it. And, um, I made it a priority in my life. It's tough because, uh, uh, bow hunting doesn't pay the bills. And so it's tough to like put all this effort and hard work into something that doesn't create money. But once you realize that that money isn't the most important thing in life, it's the adventure, it's the experience, it's enjoying every day, you know, and ensure, um, you know, money helps, of course, to pay bills, to have nice gear, to be able to take the time off work. Like, uh, money is, I'm not going to say a necessary evil, but I, I just, um, I fell in that trap in my younger years where I where I was really chasing money where you know and I've never had like good avenues to make hundreds of thousands of dollars or anything but you know I w- I was a carpenter in the same way I was hungry for for hunting I was hungry at being a, a whole person like um being good at everything that I did being good at my job being good at you know husband and father being good at at bow hunting and once I started to just get this attitude you know, I'd put in extra work in construction, you know, first guy on job site, last guy on job site. I'd uh, take on challenges where I'd be working weekends or I'd be, you know, whatever it is. I I do all the high work, you know, I'm good with all the heights. I I do all the tough stuff, the toughest job on the, uh, the, the toughest, you know, task to get done on the job site. That's what I'll tackle, whether it's, um, you know, challenging because it's, it's, um, super high in trim work or, uh, high pressure situations, you know, like, uh, you know, just cabinets or woodwork or specialty items, you know, towel showers, you know, whatever it is, whatever would challenge me, I just take it on to get better at it. But I fell into this trap where, you know, money was so difficult to come by, you know, and so, you know, when I was building my business, I'd just take extra work and I'd be working evenings and weekends. And then, where it's really apparent is when I make these personal financial investments and, um, you know, a house is just like one of the best investments you can make, especially like as a builder, like as a builder, um, you know, I can do all the work myself. And so I can put all this sweat equity into it. And, and really, you know, a house is half materials, half labor and, you know, got to hire some subcontractors here and there, but I would just try to take on everything myself. I'd try to take on the electrical, the plumbing. Of course, I had friends that would help me out. My buddy Dan helped me with the plumbing here at the house. So, you know, he was great. But, uh, you know, I do all the concrete. I do all the, the, the construction. I do all the hardwood floors, all the tile. I do the roof. I do the siding. I do the, you know, whatever it is, you know, electrical, plumbing. You just try to do everything yourself to save money. 
which is great. It really got my family ahead. But what I'd have to do in these time periods is I'd have to work a full-time job, and then as soon as I'd get off work, I'd go evening work at the house. And I'd go work every single weekend. And so I'm getting in 100-hour weeks, you know. And, um, man, it's just a grind. Like, I I enjoy working hard. Um, but, you know, when you grind 100-hour weeks and you do that for a year to build a personal house. And then, you know, the, the deal why it's good to make money on these personal houses is, um, you know, you, there's a tax law that gets in that if you live in your house for two years, you don't pay any taxes on it. I think it's up to 250000 or 500000 a couple or whatever. And so that profit that you make, you pay zero dollars in taxes on. And it's just this loophole that we get in with um, capital gains, you know, people trying to, you know, and it's, it's, it's an investment. And um, it, it's just a great tax law that's put in there for the blue collar hardworking guy which is amazing and I'm sure there's big companies that take advantage of it in different ways too but uh, for for me for the average guy I just saw that and it's like building you can charge this hourly rate but when you build a house it's fair market value so you know you may only have you know whatever I'm just throwing numbers out there you may only have 200,000 into this house or whatever but Fair market value is four hundred thousand, and so when you sell it, you don't got to feel bad. You're not taking advantage of anybody. You're not charging um, more than you should on it. You're just charging fair market value. So it's like business, you know. You just um, you make what you can make. But it it really got me ahead in life, and it's a great move. And it's like bigger than myself. I remember just building it, going, you know, I got to give up a hunting season. Um, you know, and my wife is great. She just supports me so much. Would bring me out meals. She'd bring out the girls to work away with me. Like she makes it all work with our family. And, you know, at first we both started working hard on the house and we'd both be stressed out. And, uh, you know, we'd, you know, come home and, um, not that we'd argue here or there, but it just wasn't working. It was just like, we were both so worn out and stressed out that it wasn't working it works much better for me to just uh, work myself, my fingers to the bone, and she takes care of me, and then she's patient with me. She, you know, she lets me be an ass at night if I say something right, you know, whatever it is. She just has more patience with me, I guess you'd say. It's just our dynamic and how it works, and she works really hard on the house too. Don't get me wrong; she's just not doing the hundred-hour weeks. But my whole point of this this long, um, long-winded explanation of being passionate about hunting is so. Like in times in my life, I have chased the buck and I have worked, you know, I'm taking extra jobs and I'm taking this job and oh, I don't have much time to hunt, but I, I got to work. I got to make money. And I chase this buck and um, like doing this personal house, this this last one, you know, I worked so hard. By the time I got to the end, um, I, I was dealing with depression. I moved into this house and um, man, I didn't feel like fishing. I didn't feel like hunting. I didn't feel like running. You know, I, I got into this house and I was so exhausted. I had pushed myself so far, um, you know, lose weight. Yeah, I just, uh, but I worked so hard, you know, I, I'm not happy and I can't enjoy, I'm not enjoying life. Like I just, I'm chasing that bucket different time periods in my life where I've had to work really hard and I always do what I say I'm going to do and I come through I get the project done or whatever but that's not what makes me tick that's not what makes me happy like I, I like being good at construction and good at my job and taking care of my responsibilities but you know it's this it's this backcountry bow hunting that like lights a fire under me and that I'm passionate about that I just love with every fiber of my being and so like um 
I, I just, uh, you have to make money and you have to take care of your finances. And I think, you know, right now I could be chasing a lot more money to stick away in my account, but instead I'm just looking for experiences I can go on. I want to have enough money to support my family. You know, I definitely want to be building towards retirement and I, I am going to do another personal house here. It's just the, the right move for me, but I'm going to do it a bit different. Um, I've done enough of these that, you know, I'm going to have my crew help me out on different different tasks on it and you know I'll do you know all the finish work and I'll be there every step of the way but I'm just gonna pay to have a little bit more done um you know I've afforded myself through building this business to where I can be gone more um during the week you know on other projects leave the guys to work away and check in on them and then you know be working on this house so I'm just gonna do it a little bit different um I'm still gonna hunt um and go on a bunch of adventures and it's worrisome when I start thinking about it. I got to get in that house building mindset again, um, where you where you've got to get it done, you know. But uh, I'm just gonna do this one a, a touch different. It it scares me because my life is so good right now. I I have structured it, you know, from the age of 20. I've just continued to build this life that I love and that I enjoy. That's surrounded around the the outdoors and you know, like I, man, I you know, I talk about training and physical and mental. But I I love trail running. I just I love the way it makes me feel. I get to the mountains each and every day, run up and down. It keeps me so healthy. Like I haven't been sick in a couple of years. My immune system is just off the charts. Like um, you know, I I may be getting getting older, like I'm thirty nine, I turned forty this year, but um I feel better than I've ever felt. I mean and and I'll get into some of this um work that I've been putting in over the last couple of years that's really helped my my back and um just help help my body, my immune system. I'm just firing off all cylinders. I feel great on these hunts. I feel great like um I'm just finishing up um just finishing up a, a wintertime hunt. And uh, man, did I push hard! I I hunted a different state. It was late season for mule deer. So challenging, big mountains, big snow. Of course, the first trip I didn't have much snow, um, so I was able to hunt the tops. And then the snow started coming. Big mountains. I did like four trips, hunted eleven or twelve days, and struck out. Oh my gosh, it was trying. It's just tough. It makes me realize how difficult it is, you know, set up, set upon these challenges to kill a mature buck with a bow and arrow. It is not easy. It was trying this year. I, I did get that late season buck in my home state here in Montana. I was stoked for, um, but you know, early season, you guys know my story there. I struck out and then late season, I just battled it. Um, you know, I found good bucks nearly every trip I went down, or I did find it every trip I went down. Um, so out of four trips, two of them were off the hook. So the first trip was good. I spent it with Dan. We found a couple shooter bucks. It just it, it just got screwed up by coincidence. We'd keep hiking way off these access points and roads, and we'd find deer back there, but I just couldn't find the bigger bucks. And then we'd be hiking back, and I'd spot one on the rim, and all of a sudden that's the great big buck we want. But he's off the rim where you can you know, run these uh, uh, wheelers or the side-by-sides, you know, and so the next morning put ourselves in that spot and a side-by-side pulls out on the vantage point and blows up that basin. And so, like, just circumstances like that where we never really got a stock the first trip. Um, second trip I went back, I think that's when I hit it really good. God, I hit it perfect. New new mountain range and big miles, nobody around. I got four stocks in one day. 
I just had one good day of hunting. Uh, the couple days leading up to that, I was looking for good bucks or trying to get into them, but one day was amazing. And it was, um, it was just blowing so hard, that north wind, that it, being patient in cold weather is tough. Like, um, you know, sometimes it's zero degrees with a 20 mile an hour wind. It's 20 below with the wind chill. I've got on all the clothes I own, wind blowing or snow blowing sideways. And you're trying to wait for these deer to present themselves or come out. It's really tough to be patient and, um, uh, uh, slow and methodical. Like I like to be on these muleys. So you end up, or I end up pushing it or forcing it a little bit and it just didn't pan out for me. And, also, that snow just makes noise. It is so tough to get close to some of these deer in that snow and this wintertime conditions. The crunch on it just kills you. I I went one trip where the whole trip was, was nearly wasted just because of the crunchy snow and then calm winds. I, I couldn't get within 200 yards of a deer. And uh, I did see a couple shooter bucks, and I made attempts at them, and I put in good effort the entire season, but I just came up short. And then uh, the last trip, I went to a new unit and checked it out. Um, really impressed by it. God, and that was just epic hunting. I got on this really good 30-inch buck. You know, I never really got into any bucks that were in the 200 class. I don't even think I saw one quite to the 190s, but I chased um, some really good bucks, like 170, 180 bucks, uh, deep-forked, heavy, older deer, the ones that just really get me excited. But it was a riot pushing through that cold and then that snow just put so much extra exertion on you like you just can't you know to do 15 miles in the snow oh my gosh with that resistance on your legs is incredible the work that you have to put in but it just had an amazing late season um it's off the hook I enjoyed it every step of the way but I it came up short so it it's just the nature of the beast like some of these hunts aren't going to pan out I mean last year you know I didn't kill a bull and so this year that was a big part of my focus to to kill a good bull, um, you know, and I ended up killing a couple good bulls, which which was amazing. But, you know, I had this incredible season, and I, I think I'm going to stop. I'm not going to, you know, this season or this year looking forward, I'm not going to put, like, this um, this score or this deer on this pedestal that, that that's what I want to accomplish. Like, all right. So, you know, years prior I said, this is the year I'm going to kill a 200 inch buck. And I've set my goal there and I just, uh, I work hard. That's what I, you know, and sometimes it's a, a great driving force. That's what keeps me on the trails running. It's what keeps me shooting my bow. It's what keeps me getting ready is this giant buck, you know, that I'm, that I'm going to harvest. It's going to happen this year. But, you know, there too, you know, that's the trophy at the end. And if, if I'm just going on a hunt, like take Colorado or Wyoming, for instance, this last year that I hunted. If I just go in there with the goal of a 200-inch buck and then I don't kill that buck, you know, it's not like the whole trip was a failure. And, and two, even if you do kill a buck on day seven, day eight, day, day nine, does that mean the first six or seven days were miserable because you haven't killed your goal? Like, I, it's good to have goals and it's good to have things in front of you, but anymore like I love the process so much I love preparing so much that you know I don't I don't I don't need that anymore you know you know what I want to have I want to have these epic adventures you know I want to travel around I want to hunt quality deer you know and in different hunts you know there's different bucks that I have in mind and different bucks I can hold off on but I really think like you're 
you know, your trophy radar, you know, I think you got to climb the, the, the lung, the rungs of the ladder before you can harvest a 200 incher. You need to harvest a 180. And not to say, like, if you're just looking for quality bucks, you may run into a 200 incher and kill them, even though you're only looking for 160 or a four point. It just might be the buck you find and then you put your effort there and you end up harvesting them. But I'm just not going to put these giant goals in front of me, like bulls. I've always wanted to kill a 350 plus bull with my bow. I killed one with my rifle, maybe that shit's been 15 years ago now, but, um, and I, and I've got a, a bunch of bulls that are in between that, you know, that 310 to 350 range, 320 to 350 range. Um, you know, I have a handful in there and, uh, they're really good bulls, but I always want this 350 bull, but I'm just not going to set this goal on, you know, that, that I'm going to kill a 350 bull with my bow, especially not in general season over-the-counter tags. Like, sure, maybe if you drew an Arizona tag or if I drew an Arizona tag, you know, I'd set my standards at a 350 plus and I'm happy going home with my tag if I if I don't harvest one. But I, I just to put these numbers, I, I love hunting elk. I love chasing bugling bulls. And to me, you know, I've shot enough five points over the years to where you kind of graduate from that and then, you know, for a long time, it was just like a, a good solid six point. If I see that, you know, I'm going to go after him. Um, you know, and that's kind of grown over the years too, to where now it's just a, you know, a mature big six point bull that gets me excited. So, you know, that's my goal for the next year. Mature six point bull that gets me excited. I just want to be out there and be in the chase. And if you're out there with a the tag in your pocket, it's amazing sometimes what you can turn up. But for me, like the bulls I shot this year, I mean, you show me a 320 bull out there, man, it, it, it looks like a, you know, he looks giant on the head. He's a big filled out six point. Like those bulls get me excited. And so like, I just want to hunt what, what's get me, what gets me excited and what I'm happy with. You know, if I harvest a bull like that, I want to be stoked and I am. So that's what I shoot for. And same thing for mule deer. If he gets me excited, like that's what I want to go for. If he's, you know, 165, 170 and different hunts, you're going to have, um, you know, these, these different bucks that you kind of visualize that you go after. And sure, if I've got a good Colorado tag or good Wyoming tag, I know what's there. You know, I scout it really hard and I know that there's a potential for a 180 inch deer and, you know, I should probably hold out for something like that just to have the opportunity to chase some deer like that. But, um, so something different I'm doing this year is like, um, not different. I mean, I've always done this, but I'm just gravitating towards enjoying the adventure, enjoying the experience, going to different places, uh, enjoying the challenge. Um, so I'm going to work really hard in the off season. Like I always do, uh, uh, harder than ever. I think every year I come back bigger and better than I was before. And a lot of it too, you know, is, you know, doesn't have to do, you know, like, like training is one thing, but you know, also like, you know, I started talking about finances, not that this is a finance podcast, but you know, just getting your finances in order and, um, financially stable to be able to go on a lot of these things, because the key to killing good animals is having the time to kill good animals. Now you develop your skill set over the years and you keep getting better at all these facets of this bow hunting, you know, whether that is your fitness, your shooting, your stalking, you're just developing all these skills and there's, there's no limit to where you can go. They, you can, I'm, I'm still continually trying to improve. I talk about my late season game, you know, it taught me some, some good lessons on, on patience and not forcing the issue and, even in that cold, I just have to be more patient yet. But a big part of the equation is having the time to go bow hunt. And, um, you know, 
talked about money and how chasing the buck doesn't make me happy. Chasing the big mule deer does, you know, and so that's what I wanted to spend more time doing. And, you know, when it's a, you know, when it's your passion, like pretty soon it just it's a priority in your life and it may not generate the the income but it's a priority it like uh it soothes your soul it makes you feel like a human being it makes you feel alive you know going on these adventures and you you know sometimes your life's in risk and you're dangerous or maybe it's the camaraderie i love like the buddies that i can build hunting you build such a tight bond you know i i compare it to like um military which um you know, I always hate to compare myself to military. I just, uh, I, I look up to those guys so much and, um, and, and what they do and then the camaraderie that they build in, in war zones when they're with their buddies and they have each other's back and they're doing it for this bigger cause or, or even, you know, like, uh, um, watching playoff football. Like I, I'm, I'm not a huge football guy or whatever, but I love the Seahawks. I come from Seattle. I've watched them since I was a kid. Um, I love watching them play and so I record every game so I can skip the commercials and I watch it with my family and we watch but even in football like the bigger cause of playing for your team and for your teammates and um, instead of playing for yourself like it it's just this this um, this this bigger cause and so you know when you when you find bow hunting and it's something you're passionate about something you want to do you make it a priority in your life and you just start structuring your life around that you know being able to go on these adventures and and um being able to go on these things so that's a a big part of the equation is just getting financially stable or getting yourself to a place and and i really think the key is is not how much you make but what you do with it and it's it's really paying down that debt and not being in this cycle of just debt and interest that you're paying off is just trying to get things paid down and paying cash for them and get your debt load down to where, you know, the money you make at work is money that you stick away in your account. Um, so that's been the biggest key for me is just getting myself out of debt and uh, my monthly outgo. I just don't have to make that much to, to, to go, you know, my, my house payment, I've got my entire life savings, you know, into my house. And so, you know, I've got a super low payment. Hopefully this next one, I'll have zero payment, you know, and, um, and, and then I can use that, that equity to, to build a rental or to build a small spec and sell it and, you know, hopefully keep growing that life savings or whatever. But I really think it's getting the debt load down, but having the time is so important. That's where I'm fortunate. Like, I used to be a weekend warrior and I had to, to work and I'd get Saturdays and Sundays, maybe add a Friday on there and I'd maybe have one week trip a year. And, you know, I made it a priority to do the best I could on those hunts and on those weekends. And even this year, that late season hunt, I was weekends. I had to get back to construction work and I had responsibilities and uh, responsibilities to be here with my family and catch volleyball games, basketball games. So I was a weekend warrior. Heck, it comes down to every year doing that. But that that time is so important. If you have the time to, to go learn new, new country and to go chase bucks, like uh, things just happen. You just turn up good bucks. You just turn up good bulls just for time in country. So I, you know, I think that's important as we look to the next year. I know it's important to me. It's just to make sure I start planning these hunts and that I've, I've got the time to go on them and, and, and to spend on them so I can be successful. And, um, you know, the, the preparation is a huge part of it. Like, uh, that, the hours, of, of research that you put in, you know, it, it's all time that, that you can put in to your hunting, which collectively, um, at the end of the year, like that's a big reason why I'm successful is just all the time I put into, to map research. I use that on X a ton. 
and uh, I use it on my phone. I use it on my computer, and and it's almost I try to use that more so than an app or something that'll open. But if I'm sitting there in the evening. You know, I can spend 20 minutes and I can go fly over one of my hunting spots and kind of look at new drainages and access points. And um, and, and I do this, what I do is before I start applying for a tag, I make sure I want to hunt there. And so a lot of my research starts right now as I'm looking towards draws and then where do I want to hunt? And I, you know, I do research on the unit. I look at Boone and Crockett entries, Pope and Young entries. Um, I, I look at, uh, uh, you know, the, the state agencies uh game and fish website like they'll give you a lot of information on buck to doe ratio on mature bucks on you know and so you can just start to paint this picture of these states and uh then you're looking at drawing odds and success and so like you just start to draw to paint this picture and then i'm always looking for the mountain range or the habitat that i want to hunt i do want to hunt more of this desert habitat for mule deer that's one of my goals for the new year so when i go to arizona this year i'm going to spend some time down in the desert and uh you know i hunt a lot of the foothills the sagebrush uh breaks i hunt coolies that's my dog coming in how's it going gunny ready to go with the day but I hunt, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of breaks, a lot of coolies, canyons, uh, uh, mid-hill. And then, you know, of course, I hunt a lot of uh, tall, big mountain range mule deer, you know, where I'm hunting the the giant alpine basins in the summertime or um, early fall, like August, September. I just love high, high mountain mule deer is just the best for me. And then the late season, I'm hunting big mountains again and... Um, big snow and so you know I like these different habitats but I really have to improve on my my desert habitat a little bit so uh, I'm gonna head down to Arizona and um, put some time into this this desert mule deer but yeah just um getting your life in order and then also like like getting your your family prepared for the hunting season like that's a major deal for me so it don't end up in a in a divorce um, you know it's just making sure I'm being a good dad good husband. And, um, gosh, I really work hard at it. And two, you know, that's the biggest legacy we leave behind is our family. And you're kind of shaping these kids from when they're babies to, to adults. And, you know, I love chasing my passion. I love chasing bow hunting, but my family means everything to me, you know? Um, so I'm just so fortunate that I have their support. And the deal is, is I, you know, I started off early when I, when I met my wife, I hunted a ton and, um, I continue to hunt a ton and kind of laid it out for her and say, Hey, the, you know, this is hunting season. This is what I love to do. And I was just able to explain it to her in a way that she understood. And so, um, you know, she comes with me, but she lets me go on these huge adventures and go challenge myself. She has my whole life and supports me and we just work better as a couple that way. Um, so it works for us, but yeah, you got to get your life right, whether it's finances and then family, you know, I know me for, you know, a, a big New Year's resolution or goal for me is family oriented. Just um, get my family out on more adventures and uh, things that I like to do, but also I need to be open-minded and do what they want to do. So, you know, when the, when the girls want to whatever it is traveling and sitting on a beach like I need to go sit on a beach and go go be happy and uh be present in the experience and enjoy it laugh with them and and a lot of it too is just being present every day you know every morning being present with my girls you know I'm not on my phone I'm not you know try to sit down joke with them talk about their day same thing in the evening and 
you know, I run such a tight schedule. I'm always shooting my bow. I'm always running here. I'm doing this, but I just like, we have dinner almost every night at the table. And, you know, that time is to hang out with the girls. And then, you know, after that, a lot of times we sit down and we'll watch a show together, whether it's, um, you know, like girls like survivor or, um, whatever it is, just time together with them. And so, you know, big goal for me is to, to make sure I'm present all the time with those kids. And, and also, you know, as far as being a husband, it's taken my wife. Like, I go on so many hunts and so many trips. Like, I, you know, I need to go some places, um, take her and, and um, enjoy it as well, which I try hard every year to, to take them to a handful of different places and then just enjoy the vacation and the time spent with them. And then also, just try to be the best person I can be, you know, here at the house, um, cleaning up and uh, chipping in with housework and making sure I've got wood cut and you know just my house responsibilities I had oh so mad my shower this is not a construction podcast by the way but my shower I did it I got that steam shower I just love I've told you guys about it it's all this custom tile shower it took me like 140 hours man hours to to build it's got you know tile that's um different patterns and then you know it's on point which is like on 45 above the border and then it's got this really cool border that's set at about eye level and it's got a bullnose tile high and low of it and um you know, I ordered that tile through a reputable company. It's like through Surface Art or something. I really like their tile or their patterns. And the normal porcelain tile is what you use for these steam showers. And porcelain tile is fine. You know, all the water beads up. You know, the, the grout's sealed on it. But these bullnose tile, I don't know if it's just a cheap finish, but the finish started melting away off there just from the water and the heat of the steam. And they're the same brand as the... Um, as the other tile, but they just melted away and then it exposed the tile and sand. So God, I got to chisel all those tiles. I sealed them the other day to get me some, buy me some time, but uh, I got to take a couple days and chisel all those out of there. And then I got the matching grout. It hasn't showed up at the house. I ordered it the other day, but I got to chip them all out of there, throw in some new bull nose and then regrout. It's not that big a deal, but it's just like when your house is all done and everything's finished and you're enjoying it, it's just like the last thing you want to go do is tear into a shower with a chisel. But oh, well, it's just what I got in front of me. I just got to get that done. But just taking care of my responsibilities and being a good man, being a good husband, like it goes so far. And then when it's a hunt or when it's hunting season and I'm ready to go, you know, I got full support. So everybody's situation is different. In in their marriage is different. Every um every relationship is different. But you know, hunting's a priority to you. It's something that you have to work out. So you know, these are a couple things that I that I don't really talk about much. But finances, um, you know, being a husband, being a father, and then it comes down to the skills we all think about, right? Um, physical fitness is huge for me. Um, you know, I was talking about my trail running, how I've just grown to like it. And I, you know, I pretty much turned myself into a trail runner. Like I, I ran in high school during wrestling to cut weight, but I mean, that's only like one season. I, I'd wrestle year round, you know, with Greco and freestyle and stuff, but really I wasn't running that much. You know, I, I was running enough to put in hard work to realize what I'm doing, but you know, um, Gosh, if I had the mindset I had now back in high school wrestling, there isn't a kid that would ever beat me. I guarantee you. You know, it's just like you just sharpen yourself mentally. But, you know, the the physical fitness is a huge part of hunting the West, and it's a big part of the enjoyment of it. You know, can you hunt uh, the mountains uh, and, and not be in top physical condition or uh, be a little out of shape? You bet. You know, I, I've seen big guys that can push really hard. Um, 
I, I just day in, day out to feel good in the mountains, day in, day out. I mean, the mountains are so difficult. I mean, even for a guy like me that my whole life is based upon, you know, being in good shape, like the mountains are just tough on me day in, day out. You know, I think that's why I like it. It's it's um it's a true test of endurance. A backcountry hunt day after day it is is um it is about the most endur- endurance it's like a, a running a marathon or an ultra marathon, even an ultra marathon, which I do need to run. I've run some fifty milers a couple, but I need to uh I need to run a, a hundred miler. I've talked about running a hundred miler. I've actually thought about this goal quite a bit with New Year's resolutions. And I've decided that um I'm not gonna do one this season. Um, you know, I just uh my training has been working so perfectly for me and you know, I just try to build it into a habit of my life. Like I run nearly every day at six, seven days a week. And, you know, the last couple days were two short ones, a couple three mile runs, no elevation. But, you know, the day before that I did 10 plus and did, um, you know, 1500 feet of elevation gain and loss, maybe 2000. So I'm getting some good runs in and it's just working really well for me. And I'm enjoying running. Like it seems like when I train for one of these big races, you know, it's going to take away from my bear season. It's going to take away from time with my family. It's, and you know, it's like to, um, it's another goal, like to, to run a hundred mile race would be great to put that feather in my cap or whatever. But what I love to do is backcountry bow hunting. And that's the way, the reason I run, why would I do something that takes away from that, takes time away from that? Um, and, and my training's working perfectly. Like it's uh, running nearly every day. Um, my body feels great. My joints feel great. And really the key in the mountains is the elevation. And listen, there's so many ways to work your body out, whether it's CrossFit, whether it's uh, trail running, whether it's hiking with a heavy pack on, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever it is, you just find something and you just start to make it a habit. And I like the things that are difficult and really tough. Running fits me. It also fits my body type. And, you know, I dealt with some injuries when I, when I got into it, like I started, I was talking about running in high school, then I quit for a little bit. And as I moved to Montana, I started to notice that these mountains, just the better shape I was in, the better I could do. So I started running again, early twenties, like maybe 21, 22, something like that. And have been running ever since. And every year it ramps up. And I got, I got more miles in this year than I got last year. I got like 1600 miles in this year or something like that. And I'm sure I missed a missed some runs on there where I forget my phone or I don't take my phone. Um the impressive stat was 100 146,000 vertical feet gained and lost. Like that was wild. It ended up uh you know, I end up averaging per day about, you know, 500 vertical feet. You know, and of course, there's some days where I get zero. Like the last two days, I mean, I think it's like 10 floors or something like that. It's pretty flat. I was just trying to get in a run so I can get home here and take care of some stuff. So I just haven't had a lot of time, but I fit it in. And so I think it's just making a habit out of it. And so that endurance is so important, like getting that cardiovascular work. And so for me, it's trail running. I love it. You know, for for you, it might be CrossFit. For you, it might be uh, weight training. For you, whatever it is, you just, um, you do it day in, day out, build some good habits. And it doesn't have to be every day, but um, that's just what works for me. And same, like, uh, I'd say, you know, balance, flexibility, strength. Let's see, what is my pillars of um, physical fitness? Strength, endurance, and flexibility. That, That would be the three. Strength, flexibility, and endurance. 
So endurance, trail running, obviously. Strength it builds my legs running up and down those hills. Just um, it really works out my leg muscles. The thing that I've slacked on the, the, the past few years, and really this year I did really good, the year prior I did really good, is um, making sure that I'm focusing on strength. I spend so much time running that, uh, you know, that I'm not weight training. And so, you know, I started this program that I just do in my basement. And I've told you guys about it before. I just do kettlebells pull-up bar. I do uh, hangs off the pull-up bar. I do core exercises. I just came up with a routine and I try to change it up. But you know, I, same as probably you guys, I've been lifting weights since I was in high school and came up with different things. But I really like these dynamic lifts that engage all these different muscles and body weights doing dips, push-ups. Um, and same deal there. I have just made it a habit. And, and one of the things I need to get better at in the new year is... Um, I really want to make sure that I'm being productive with my time. Like, um, just that I'm, I, you know, it's so busy trying to run the podcast and outdoor industry stuff, social media, and then construction work, um, uh, family, be a husband. There's so much stuff to fit in there that, that I just have to make sure I'm being productive with my time, you know, all the time, whether that's morning, middle of the day, evening, whatever it is, I need to be getting stuff done. And so um, in the morning, I have this bad habit of, um, you know, I wake up and I take care of the stuff that, you know, feed the dog. I, I you know, build the fire, put some wood on the fire, make sure the firebox is stocked, build, make some coffee, kind of my routine in the morning. And then once I make that coffee, I grab that cup of coffee and I sit down and, you know, I'll uh, sometimes I'll, I'll get on social media for a little bit or sometimes, you know. I'll start answering messages back or emails back or whatever, but really this this hour time, this hour window in the morning when I'm waking up, uh, I'm not that efficient. I'm not that effective. I could be better is what I'm saying, but I, I've started to just come down in the morning and get on this pull-up bar and get on these kettlebells and just get in a quick workout. You know, Sometimes it's only 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes I just walk by the pull-up bar and do some pull-ups. Um, or sometimes I take a half an hour, 40 minutes, you know, sometimes I'll even, you know, I'll, I'll get home and then, um, sorry, my wife came in to tell me goodbye for the day, but, uh, yeah, sometimes I'll even, um, I'll get home or, you know, I'm pretty good about making myself go get in those runs because I know how important it is. I know what endurance is, and I just feel better after I do them. But, you know, there'll be days where I come home, it's dark, and it's snowing and blowing, and 10, 15 below. And I'm like, ah, I think I'll go down and go get a workout downstairs and start working out on the kettlebell or the pull-up bar and just call that my workout for the day. But I just implement the, these portions in my life, that these healthy habits in my life. You're building habits in your life, whether they're good or bad, um, all the time you know, these habits that you create. So, you know, like realizing my morning routine is not a great habit. Like I just need to get down and get a workout in. So I've been better in the mornings and same thing with weight training, you know, less about blowing myself up or being sore the next day. I I just want to do something that is sustainable that I can do each and every day. And so weight training, I'm not quite as good as I am as running. I really want to be you know, every day is what I'm striving for, but, um, I end up missing a couple days here and there, but just working harder on that, that strength, because it, it comes into play, like having a strong core is everything, like keeping that back, right. Um, you know, 
gosh, it does no good to have these endurance muscles on my legs and then stick a pack on and I, you know, I slip my neck out of place because my back isn't used to that pack. So I've just got to keep myself strong there for packing animals, for packing my pack. And so strength is a big uh, part of it. Endurance is a big part of it. And the other part is flexibility. I told you guys about man stretches and yoga. God dang it, is it important? I, you know, I think I, I, my body, like my hamstrings, tighten up from running so much, and so for me, man, it is. I, I stretch, you know, at least once a day. Usually, it's twice a day. I'm stretching, and uh, I went to a yoga class with my wife the other day, which. You know, I don't know that I'm in for putting in an hour of a yoga class. I think I'd rather go get a run. But but, you know, it really helped me. Like I learned a lot, like I've been stretching and doing this twice a day. But to take an hour and focus on stretching and then focus on this different mobility of my body, of like my hips and my shoulders, my back, like I felt so good walking out of there. And the next couple of days I was like, oh, maybe I am a yoga guy. I don't know, maybe I do like yoga class. And, you know, I have my wife that helps me out a bunch, but I, you know, I think the answer for me, there's some good yoga classes on the internet. My wife belongs to some program or, or her mom does and we use her password, or, you know, how that all works, but, uh, doing a yoga class and, you know, I'm not into the chakras and the, um, you know, I, I'm not into the hippy dippy stuff, but the stretches are amazing. And, you know, just going to that one class, I just learned some different positions and moves I could do that, that really helped her, um, fit inside my stretching and so it just helped me to learn more so you know I don't know that I'm going to be down at a bunch of classes or anything um but you know here at the house like in the evening like even when I sit down to watch tv with my wife in the evening and we're winding down like I can be stretching on the floor and have been and um that flexibility strength endurance once you get that all rolling like I used to pull my back out a couple times a year my back has never been better I am so physically strong and flexible like uh even you know I'm running in the snow and ice and slip the other day where your feet are trying to come out from under you where you know normally it's just like man I kind of tweak myself it's just nothing my body just rolls with the punches I really think the the body adapts to the stress you put on it and and I put a lot of stress on my body and my body just responds and I'm lucky I got good genetics I don't have bad knees I don't have bad joints like everybody you know, each one of your guys' uh, 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 bodies and um, requirements and, um, you know, we're all individuals and we're all built different and, you know, that's some good, some bad and, you know, we're not all dealt the best hand. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, in high school I wasn't tall, dark and handsome and crushed all the women, you know, like, a, like you know, you're just given what you're given in life, you got to make the best with it, right? And so, like... Um, you know, I'm this this small stature at like five seven. I weigh one fifty five, but you know, you just um, you you get what you get in life, and you make the best of it. And I'm glad for being a backcountry bow hunter. Man, it's so effective. I don't know how you six foot guys do it. Like, uh, it's uh, it's so much easier for me to sneak up on animals and and keep small and um, hide behind things. Not that you know, but it is an advantage. I mean, if I'm being honest, it's an advantage. And and also when you're small, you're efficient for running. Like it just doesn't take me much water to run. doesn't take me as much food. I have a ton of energy. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate, but we're all just dealt a hand. Then we do the best we can with it. Right. And you can, you can make a million excuses or have an excuse. I, I've just, um, I've never had an excuse in life and just, you know, my girls are built small too. And, you know, it's tough in these sports, 
you know, volleyball and basketball and, you know, where height helps out and coaches see height, then they play him more or, you know, whatever the case is. But it's just like I always tell him, it's like, man, you just give him what you're given. And you may be small, but you're quick, you know, use your use your advantages. Don't focus on your disadvantages or give yourself a pity party like it does. If we get one chance at life. You just get what you get and you can't change it. Like, why even worry about it? Uh, but my point here is to try to structure these workouts and these routines so they work for you, you know, so you're not dealing with a bunch of joint pain or, you know, it does no good. Like an injury is is one of the worst things, like physically and mentally. Man, any any one of you that are dealing with an injury, I feel for you. Like having a nagging injury or like for me, for a long time, it was my back and I'd pull it out a couple times a year. I'd worry about it during hunts. I'd pull my neck out during hunts, you know, but through this strength and flexibility, the body adapts to the stress you put on it and you may have to see through some tough times. Like I remember I'd get bad shin splints when I started running. Um, you know, when I was in my early twenties and I was pushing for half marathons and marathons and then ultra marathon, I deal with uh, gnarly shin splints and, you know, different injuries. I had an IT band injury one year, but you know, pretty soon from doing it year after year here, I'm getting older and my body's getting better at it. Like it's just, um, you know, the, your, your bones get denser, your, your muscles develop around these joints, um, and, and then keeping with my flexibility is huge stretching one to tw- two times a day and it doesn't feel like I'm making any big gains or anything, but I- I'm just flexible where I can twist. I can touch my toes. I can bend down and dude, it's so important. Like, um, stalking, like I haven't got into that. So physical fitness, I think is a major pillar of six, you know, consi- being consistently successful, just being able to push day after day. And so like, get yourself in a routine, figure out what works for you, but put in that work. It also feels like you're just working towards your goals. Like, you know, being a backcountry bow hunter, man, it's, it's 365. You have to live the lifestyle. And if you want to kill, you know, a giant buck or a giant bull or a mature animal or have the adventure of your lifetime, like you have to be able to trust your body. There's so many times when I see animals so far off and it's not even a question for me. I'm going over there. I know I can trust my body. I'm going to go over there and try to give myself a chance. Or when you have to move camp or you're day seven and you got to keep grinding in the mountains, it, it comes up over and over and over on a backcountry hunt. It's just your physical fitness. And the better shape you are, the better you do. Sometimes you're racing to cut off a bowl and you're jogging and it's a matter of timing. If you get there in time, you kill that bull. If you don't, you don't kill that bull. You know, there's so many instances where physical fitness comes into play, you know, for endurance, for, for speed, for everything, flexibility, the whole deal. And so like, that's to me is the, the absolute total package. So, you know, that's, I'm not doing the 100 miler this year, which, you know, I may change my mind. Sometimes I, I, uh, I'll just end up signing up for one and end up training, but it's just my training is working so good for backcountry hunting right now. And that's what I truly love to do. Like that's what I'm going to continue to work at. And I enjoy these runs each and every day. Now, uh, it, it works for me and my endurance and I recover from the hunt. I'm never sore and I, and I can push as hard as I want day in, day out. And so it's just working for me. And I'd like to put in more mileage. It's tough in these mountains. Like, you know, I, I'm not covering seven or eight miles in an hour anymore. Like if I'm just doing the flat, sure, that's no problem. I can run seven minute miles or six thirties and crush that. But in the mountains, when you're climbing up and down, it takes more time to get in that mileage. And 
I just can't take away from my my family that much or you know I guess I could I could sacrifice I could figure it out like I'm just making an excuse to you guys I could figure it out I could train for 100 and I could do it but it is going to take away from my backcountry bow hunting and that's where I just draw the line it's like and and why like everything's working so good my body feels so good my immune system's firing like I just um it's all working right now so I would like to do more miles um, but it's not in my daily runs. I can't just go for, you know, I've been fitting in a lot of double digit miles lately, but it's just like, there's a day a week where it works out for me or a couple days a week where it works out for me, where I'm just out. I know nobody's going to be to the house till six. You know, I, I, I've got two and a half hours plus my half an hour drive. I can go crush a big run. And so I just want to be good about, uh, fitting in, uh, more of those longer runs, those big endurance runs, you know, and make sure I'm getting in those throughout the year. But I, you know, I'm happy with my mileage. I'm happy with the elevation and the climb. You know, I want to find a new gear this year, um, and, and work harder than I did last year. Um, but, but that's, you know, that's just me and, and where I'm at and, and my goals moving forward. So, um, you know, I am going to run a hundred miler. I will sometime in my life, but ah, I just got too much backcountry bow hunting to do right now. Um, but I, I do really enjoy running right now. I'm just in a good place with it. I just love it. I love running with my dog. My dog is just the best. But so anyways, this, the physical fitness major pillar, um, you guys know that, um, you know, the, the other, you know, the other thing I really want to improve on this year is like your stalking skills. So there's there's this whole group of skills that comes into stalking game animals, and then you know, um, you know, and then also you know, shooting and um, keeping yourself uh, uh, calm in the crunch, and it's um, gosh, it's so important. You get these chances throughout a season. So throughout a season, you may work hard and put days into this effort. But that day you finally spot that mature buck you want, that day you finally spot that mature bull, you, you know, you're all in. It all comes down to the skills that you've acquired and the decisions you make are going to determine whether or not you get an opportunity at that. And, um, you know, the more experience and the better you get and the more confidence you have in your stocking skill, the better your chances of killing that animal and the better you are at closing a deal. And so just moving forward in the future, and, and there's ways that you can improve that by stocking does. I always think the best way to improve your your stocking skill set is by by stocking, <laughs> by by hunting. You know, experience is the best teacher. But I also think you build this framework or this groundwork of skills and theories inside your brain of what you're going to do, what's right or wrong, the decisions you're going to make. So when you get there, you you make really good decisions. It's really easy to get wishy-washy. You finally see the animal you want. You're not sure if you should come above them, below them. What's the wind doing over there? There's all these variables. And so sometimes you sit there scratching your head. But I, I just um, – moving forward, I want to be decisive. And um, I just have to implement just more patience. Patience kills the buck. Um, I believe it wholeheartedly. I, I just, uh, in this late season, makes me realize it even more. And I had some good stocks, man. I put myself in bow range of a couple different critters. It's just tough because you always, like this this last group of does, the last time I was over there, I spotted this really nice buck, really tall buck, good fronts. And, um, you know, kept working into him and climbing through the snow and then finally got him, got a good wind and started dropping in the sagebrush kind of on top of him. But I get in there close and all of a sudden I've got two does at 40 yards, you know, so I'm pinned down. I can't move 15, 20 minutes. They kind of feed and then I see another doe and it's right there. And 
So like I keep getting stopped on my stock because I've got deer in front of me that I can't bust out. And then the the buck ended up showing up 60, 70 yards below me, never stopped. I never got a range. He just walked and I just, I kept thinking like, just be patient, just let it develop. Well, it didn't work out that time. The wind ended up, I think there was a gust that shifted down the hill and I was just so close to all these deer that um, ended up blowing up. But just that element of surprise, like not letting them know you're there and just being patient, patient with the situation, not giving yourself away. I mean, there was times on another stock, you know, times on stocks throughout the whole season where I'd have to stay motionless for 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes because I'd have a cow looking at me or I'd have a doe looking at me and or looking my direction or feeding where it could see me. But just, I just need like just being more patient in this, like um, taking what the animals give me and not stocking to, um, I, I want to say reckless. It's not their stocking to failure. Like you want to make sure that you're not stalking in like um, sometimes, you know, guys will see a buck and they'll keep stalking in closer and they don't have a shot and getting closer yet. I had a good guy on the podcast the other day and he was telling me about a big buck he was on and he froze up and he ended up stalking within, you know, 15 yards and then blew the buck out of its bed. It's like you got you don't have to go in that close. It's not going to create the opportunity. Don't push this stock to failure. Getting close and let things happen. And same thing late season. If I can't get close because of the snow conditions, just sit back at 150 yards and just wait. Those those deer will put themselves in a better position. You know, those deer might move in my direction where then I can just set up and get in front of them. But but just like not giving myself away and just playing these situations really patiently and letting them develop. And, and I'm, you know, over the years I've gotten really good at this, but just every year I see room for improvement and room where I can be better. And also like waiting on that shot and, and trying to get drawn when they're not looking at me and, and um, waiting for the right angle to put that arrow in there perfectly. Like these game animals are so tough. Like an elk is so tough. You have to put an absolute perfect arrow into it. And so, you know, you really have to focus on your execution. And um, it's so nice when you can get drawn or be aiming at an animal that doesn't know you're there. That element of surprise is huge. And so, yeah, I just want to be slow and methodical, keep that element of surprise, not push to failure, make smart decisions. And I do think experience is the best teacher on this. And so, you know, I could go out and stock some does here in the the winter time, but you know, without that intensity of knowing that I'm going to put an arrow in it and that stock, it just doesn't quite do me the same good. Um, so I think the key is, you know, for me and for you guys is high opportunity hunts. I love, you know, antelope, uh, really sharpen my skills. I mean, all these animals really sharpen my skills, but any animal that you get a bunch of chances at and mule deer and elk can be that way. If you really get into the party, you get some chances, but you want to be dialed by the time you're mule deer hunting and you see that giant 180 inch buck, you want to have your process dial. You're not trying to get a bunch of stocks on a bunch of deer. You just want that one buck or you see a nice six point bull. You want that one bull and sure you're going to get multiple opportunities through a year, but how many opportunities are you really going to get at a giant six point bull? You know, four, five, if you're, if you're, really good and proficient some some years you may get zero you know zero chances to uh, you know I don't you should you should be able to earn an opportunity whatever your goal bull is but you know what I'm saying like some years you know you just don't get that many opportunities to bend the limbs back like it's tough to get an opportunity to to shoot your bow and it makes me realize every time I do it I do this you know and I harvested some great animals this year I had a great season but as I look back you know I remember my failures too and you know the the late season hunt 
um, the early season mule deer hunt, like um, they humble me and can be so difficult. And so that opportunity that you create, you know, it, it's so important to make the right moves in those situations. So these high opportunity hunts, like uh, I love antelope, you know, axis deer is another good one for me. I know not everybody can go to Hawaii and hunt axis, um, but whitetail doe hunts. I mean, they'll give you five tags here in Montana. There's a spot in Montana that I hunted quite a bit that I gained experience. Um, it's the Montana prison ranch and it's the biggest agriculture ranch in Montana. So they have a bunch of ag fields and they have a ton of deer there. And uh, they don't allow rifles. It's like you can actually see the prison and the prison yard and inmates walking around. But they have, it's Montana. We're rural, right? And so we've got all these fields, these ag fields all the way around it. And actually it's how the the inmates work these cattle on these ag fields and work them. And it gives them some skills so when they get out, you know, they can find a job or whatever. And I think, you know, they probably make some money. Prison makes some money through it. I don't know how it all works. But what they do do, what they, what they do do. Uh, what they do is they offer, um, bow hunting in there. And so, you know, you have to fill out a bunch of paperwork, send them your ID, make sure, you know, you're not trying to break somebody out of jail or whatever. And then you get a badge and then you have to check in with the, the head gate and then you go in there, but they'll give you five deer tags over the counter and they're open all the way through. I think it used to be January 31st. You can actually kill a deer or an elk there, a cow or a bull. Um, but you have to use your Montana elk tag that you don't get an extra one, but you can kill a cow or a bull there. And then you can kill, it used to be a white tail buck, white tail doe, mule deer buck, mule deer doe. I think since they've taken the mule deer bucks, you're not allowed to kill the, the mule deer bucks there unless you use, you can, you just have to use your Montana a tag. And then I think it's maybe special draw over there now in that unit. I, you know, the specifics don't matter, but what my point is. You could actually kill five whitetail bucks in there, just so you know. Like five whitetail bucks on top of your mule deer buck tag, and they're like, you know, in state, I think they charged me ten bucks for the tag. I think out of state used to be fifty, I think it's seventy five now, but there's so many deer in there in those ag fields. So I could hunt all the way to the end of January. Like that's how I've gotten good at bow hunting, is I've spent a lot of time bow hunting. And um, so I would go there with tags and just make a trip over there and go stock does, go stock bucks, and it's stocking whitetail in open terrain. It just made me better, you know? So that's one of the instances. I mean, I've hunted antelope for, you know, 12 or 15 years with my bow or whatever. And um, and two, being bow hunting exclusive has really helped me. Now, I don't think it's the right move for everybody. Uh, I think you have to have some success and, and, um, you know, sometimes that bow hunting success, it doesn't come easy at first. And so like to be able to go on a couple gun hunts or to mix or some of these States, they allow you to hunt with bow and rifle. And, you know, everybody's different too. Some people's goals is just to kill a big critter, whether it is with a rifle or with a bow and two, like taking advantage of some of these rifle seasons, they give us some awesome seasons and you have the power of range with the rifle. So you can have more success. And, you know, also as you're hunting with a rifle, you're building skills. You're getting better at hunting. And the key to being bow hunting exclusive is to, um, is to be, you have to be a real skillful hunter. You're, you're, you're taking on one of the toughest challenges. And so to be bow hunting exclusive, you have to earn more opportunities than the average guy. You know, you have to create these opportunities so you can be successful 
So not I think guys should take advantage of those rifle seasons. I think it's a good uh, you gain experience, uh, you, you you gain knowledge, you have some more success. Um, you can kill some good critters, um, and then just taking advantage and and enjoying the time in the mountains. Um, but for me, I went bow hunting exclusive, and what this did is I always kept in a bow hunter's mindset. The other thing it did is it gave me a ton of experience because I failed a lot. Like I'd never, you know, I wouldn't fill my, you know, like a bear tags, uh, a perfect instance or example. Like um, bears, you know, you can go out with a rifle and, and you're glassing and you're hunting bears and you're putting time and effort in. And, you know, you have to build your skill set to where you can find enough bears to get enough stocks to even think you have a chance to kill one with your bow. But with a rifle, you know, even if you're looking for the biggest bear on the mountain, like, um, you know, how many bears are you going to see before you see that giant bear? You know, four, five, six, seven, or just to find a decent bear? Like, I don't know, maybe look over three, four of them and you find a decent bear. And then you've got this extended range. And so, you know, you get within couple hundred yards 300 yards you make your shot on this decent bear and heck you got your bear for the year and so like um okay you had to see four or five different bears you ended up killing the first good one you saw and you have seven days into it well you know me with a bow it's so difficult like I may find that shooter bear and I may make a play and it may not come together but my season I'll end up having 30 or 40 days into to looking for bears just because I can't make it happen on these mature boars I see. I don't catch up to them. Um, but what it's done is it's just given me so much experience. So now every bear season, I get four times the experience even a good rifle hunter gets. You know, so I build all this experience and I'm getting stocks. And so this all goes into my skill set and makes me better. Like stocking bears will transpose into stocking elk, into stocking mule deer, into, you know, they're every species and every habitat is different, but they also have these similarities and these tendencies and these, you know, stocking it it translates to different game animals. And so through that, it just gets me so much experience. And then this spring season, all of a sudden I'm getting 30, 40 days of bow hunting experience and like, gosh, how much better is that going to make me come elk season, come deer season, you know? And so like, like the thing that bow hunting has given me is it just, um, it gives me more experience in there and, and, and more chances and like, um, like mule deer hunting during rifle season with my bow, you know, during rifle season, the first good buck you see, you pull the trigger on it and you're done and you know, how many days did you hunt? Three days or, you know, I'm, I, I don't mean you. <laughs> Sometimes I use that term. Uh, that's another one of my uh, New Year's resolutions. Uh, sometimes in my writing and when I talk, I say you when I mean me or I mean I, you know, or I'm, I'm just saying like the broad public, but I have to get better at that. But anyways, like, like mule deer hunting, like you take my dad or my cousin, for instance, you know, they, I've got good spots that I hunt that I've developed over the years, but I've developed them because I've hunted the entire mule deer season, trying to kill one with my bow, spotting multiple giant bucks. And then you learn these areas and all of a sudden you've got all these areas. So I take those guys in and, you know, I think my cousin Chris hunted for two, three days, killed a really nice heavy buck. My dad hunted for a couple days, killed a really nice heavy tall buck. So they get a couple days experience. But me to try to kill one with my bow, like I say, I've gone back every single, you know, I've gone back four or five weekends in, in Montana. We get a long season here. And so four or five weekends, three days apiece. So 12, 15 days into trying to kill a mule deer and spotting all these mature bucks and making stocks on them and then finding another one. And, um, 
So bow hunting, like failure is a prerequisite and it is so difficult to be successful, but the more you do it, the better you get. And being bow hunting exclusive, what that has given me is it's given me a ton of experience to get better at stalking, to get, you know, better at, in the crunch and in the moment. And, um, when you screw up, it hurts, you know, and so you want to learn from it and get better and be better on the on the next encounter. And so, you know, it's part of the reason why, you know, I become the hunter I am. It's just uh, the, the bow hunting exclusive gives me a ton of experience. And also, like every hunt I go on is a bow hunt. I'm never out of a bow hunter's mindset. I never stop thinking about the wind or getting in close or the conditions. And, you know, sometimes it feels like hitting my head against a wall like that late season hunt. Just could not get it to come together. But I just keep trying and keep putting the effort. And eventually things come together, you know. Um, so that's a big part of it. Um, I want to work on my shooting here in the next year. You know, you can just always be better. And I, I love that 40 to 60. I love getting close and killing them and just knowing I'm 100%. But, you know, there's times where having that that long ball in your quiver, like being able to really shoot and have confidence in your shooting, like, um, you know, like late season, sometimes you can't get close enough because of the snow conditions, but that buck may be standing out there at 75 yards. And it, with today's equipment and being able to dial to the exact yards to have the exact range on them, and draw and execute your shot. That's a dead deer 10 out of 10 times. So like, not that I want to extend my effective range. I just want to be better. I just want to be better at execution, keeping the crunch. I mean, um, it's so tough. And those, those shots, they mean everything to me. When I get a good shot at a good buck or a good bull, gosh, you just want to make it. And it's, it's, um, with the time when you get on a hunt in, in September, you can't improve your skill set anymore. Now, I focus a lot on my execution as I'm walking around September. I make sure my bow's dialed in in September, make sure it's still sighted in and everything's going to go right. I continue to practice through hunting season. But, you know, you can't improve your skill set once you're there. You have what you have. And all that skill set is built right now in the off season. And so, like, I think challenging myself to get better, I want more arrows per day. Um, I love shooting at 3D targets. You know, I'm going to do a 3D shoot or two this this summer. I need to do that. That's important to my shooting. Aiming at a 3D target really helps when it comes down to picking a spot on an animal. So I want to make sure I'm doing that. Uh, you know, work on my setup, the tune of my bow, make sure I've got a real forgiving setup in it, and just shooting a bunch. Uh, I need to get back up and shoot um, leagues. I used to go to Bozeman and shoot indoor leagues with a good group of guys standing on the line with 20 guys, really working on my 20 yard form. Um, I need to get back into that routine. Uh, I think they shoot Thursdays or Fridays, but I need to send my buddy a text and run up there. And it's the last couple of years I've been coaching the, the four H kids here locally in NS in archery shooting or whatever. And it's been really good, but, um, I'm going to step down and, um, yeah, it's just not what my girls are into anymore. And my girls love the outdoors. I love them with, um, you know, like I say, like I tell you guys, my family is everything to me. And I've got them into this archery and competitive shooting and shooting in this 4-H. But, yeah, it's just, man, if I'm being totally honest, it's just not what they're into. You know, they just start building their own lives. And a lot of it is not supporting what you love. It's supporting what your girls love, you know. And so as my oldest daughter, she's a heck of an archery shot, heck of a competitor, I mean, you know, you're always proud of your kids or think they can do, but she could shoot on the national level as far as um, archery. She's just got a great shot, and she's developed it and learned everything the right way from the beginning. But, 
you know, she's more into volleyball and her friends and like, it's just not, it's just not her deal. She's not into doing it and putting in the work and, um, it doesn't light a fire underneath her, you know? And so like, gosh, I can hear my phone buzzing here. Some, oh, here it is. Okay. Um, sorry about that. I'll have to grab that here after I finish up. I'm about done. I'm hour and 15 minutes. Gosh, I never get through everything I want to cover on a solo, but I sure like doing these. Um, but, uh, but, but my girls, so my girls, like it's supporting what they love to do and, um, not forcing them into what I like to do. And they like to go hunting with me and they like, you know, rifle hunting and, you know, bow hunting. It's just really tough. And I've, you know, I've got my daughter into it, but it's tough to get 20 yards away from something. And it's so much hard work to, you know, to get, uh, an opportunity. And she's, you know, she's got a shot at elk and, and an antelope before, but, you know, she didn't really gravitate towards that. So we started doing more of the rifle deal and getting her out on rifle adventures. And so it's been really fun to share that with my girls. I love getting them out fishing in the summertime, getting them and their friends out. Um, so I want to work really hard to do more of that. Um, getting them out on camping or scouting trips and just doing as much with them as I can. But I mean, unfortunately, you know, for me anyways, archery is not their deal. Taylor did good at it and, you know, they they win tournaments and medals, but it's just not their deal. They just not. And, and same thing with my youngest. She's done it growing up and had some opportunities and she's a really good shot and goes in and puts in her practice. But, you know, she's more into now she's in middle school and she's, you know, basketball, volleyball, uh, softball, you know. And so, like, um, she's just got other activities and her friends and so you know, anyways, I stepped down from 4-H, you know, hopefully my girls will continue to shoot or come back to it or come, you know, gravitate towards bow hunting as they get older. But, you know, no matter what they love or what they like to do, you know, I'm going to love them and support them. And so I just try to support these, these sports and help them out with those and, you know, find other ways to spend quality time with them, you know, along with the things that I enjoy too. But uh, anyways, archery shooting is not their deal. So I've given so much time coaching these kids from 4-H and I'll still drop in from time to time and see those kids and uh, try to help them where I can. But um, I'm going to step down coaching and then... Um, so anyways, that uh, frees me up to shoot some indoor leagues. and um, So I'm going to try to make it a day a week up to Bozeman, shoot those indoor leagues with those guys. That really helps my form. More arrows per day. Just, um, you know, same as I've been doing in the past year. It's It's been working. If it's not broke, don't fix it. But just uh, become better. You know, I can become a better shot. I can make sure I'm better at that long ball to where I get into those tough situations where I can't get close enough or that is my shot. You know, have the confidence to make that shot. Not that... Like I like I tell you guys, it's better to have that mindset as you want to get in close and kill them. You know, um, it it's a it's a mental trap to start getting into these longer yardages because those bows, you know, let's be honest, they'll shoot eighty to one hundred and twenty, no problem. Um, but when you start getting in this mindset to where then you get inside this max yardage that you can shoot in your backyard with your flip flops, it, it's just not that easy shooting at a game animal and and with the variables like wind and and um, these animals are so tough, you just want to put a perfect shot in them. And so, like, uh, uh, a, a lot of my success is having that mindset of getting close and killing them. Um, but also, you know, 
I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I had some kills out there at, you know, 60, 70, 80 or whatever. So, you know, it's being able to sit on that shot and execute correctly and that animal not knowing I'm there. And sometimes that's as close as you can get. So I, anyways, I just want to have more of that long ball in my quiver and just be able to lean on my shooting. Just know that in the crunch, I'm going to make my shot. And, and that's the key to killing trophy animals too. So um, definitely going to work on my shooting. And, um, gosh, I've been shooting that, that VXR, that new Matthews lately. Gosh, did they build a bow? Oh my gosh. The, you know, we're not really improving the speed so much on these bows, but just the forgiveness of these things nowadays, uh, just incredible. So yeah, um, want to do that. I'm, um, working on a new arrow right now. I think I may up my arrow weight a little bit. I, I shot like a 455 last year. I think I might try like a, I think I might go to 500 and see if that quiets down my bow. I had a couple animals jump my string this year. Just try to get that bow as quiet as I can. And always a heavier arrow will penetrate better. Those, those pass-throughs are so key. And I did get pass-throughs on um, both my elk this year. Um, so I was happy about that. But um, yeah, I'm thinking about trying out a little bit heavier arrow. So um, building those up now and um, get those tuned through this new bow and start ripping and start getting ready for Arizona. It's going to be a fun hunt. Try to add some some hunts in the spring and um, start doing my research. But yeah, just living this bow hunting life, lifestyle. Um, so fortunate for this life I've created that I, you know, that I that I've worked hard at. And like I say, it's just about loving it and and loving the process. And a big part of the hunt too it is enjoying the hunt. Man, if you just yeah, enjoying life is such a big big piece of the puzzle it feels like uh you know and so like on these hunts um I'm so fortunate like I got my family that takes care of things here at the house um you know my business is taken care of I've taken care of my responsibilities with the podcast and things and so when I'm out there I'm just wild and free I get to go but enjoy it the whole way like there isn't that many days where you're standing over a giant bull or you're standing over a giant buck that you harvested like those days you know those are the the trophy in the end but you may have a hundred days into killing that thing or you know i i guess not every seed but you know a giant bull may take you four or five seasons and you got 20 days a season or whatever but it might take you all these days to accomplish your goal i mean even a, a backcountry muley hunt where you're gone for 10 days, you might close on the ninth or 10th day. Does that mean you're not having fun day one day through day eight? Cause you got so much pressure. See, I'm using yourself again. I'm not talking about you. So I'm talking about myself, like to go 10 days and to not have fun those first eight days. Cause I didn't kill a giant bull. Like, like what's the point? I'm not enjoying the whole experience. And so like, especially as I, as I get older, it's just more about really enjoying the adventure, really enjoying the people I'm with, enjoying the experience, enjoying the challenge out there. And, and then stuff just comes together, you know, stuff's just going to die at that point. And so like, uh, I, I want to push really hard and, and grind really hard in the mountains. Like I enjoy that, that hard work and that effort and those hard miles. Like I feel good at the end of the day. I, I enjoy, like, I love the action and getting stocks and getting in plays with my bows and that excitement, that thrilling excitement. And so like, I'm just going to enjoy it from day one to day 10, from day one to day hundred, no matter what I harvest or what I don't harvest, I'm going to have fun doing it. I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm going to, going to laugh and, um, 
and en- enjoy the challenge, enjoy the stalking, the action. You see some things. You here I go again. I see some things out there in nature that just blows my mind. Like just spending the time out there, like hunting rutting muleys and seeing these giant muleys rutting around these does and just being present in this snow and in this quiet and in this wilderness and feeling like this is where I'm supposed to be. This is our evolution. You know, humans have been doing this for 200,000 years. It's it's in our DNA. It's part of our survival and this this primal instincts or this, this, this primal need to get out there in the mountains and go chase things around with a bow and arrow man i absolutely love it you know and so i just want to enjoy it i think the easiest way to get good at something is to love it and uh you know love it love the process of it love being there and being on it like those hunts aren't always fun you have to grind long miles big elevation you know there's hunting pressure in there you got to move to the next drainage you got to go to the next place like it's this constant motion and movement and trying to get into critters but I love being immersed in it and I just want to enjoy it to the fullest so I just think that's the biggest takeaway and what I'll close on is is uh this next year when you're working hard towards your goals Enjoy the process. Just enjoy the hard work you're putting in. Enjoy getting better. Enjoy getting proficient. And then when you do get your time on the hunt, things aren't always going to go right. There's going to be hurdles. It's not going to be as good as you thought. They're not going to be as big as you thought. It's it's always tougher when I get there than what I imagine. And I imagine it's going to be tough. I've been on 100 hunts. Like I, I imagine it's going to be difficult. It's always tougher when I get there. Embrace that challenge. Love it. You know, l- Love every bit of backcountry bow hunting and you will get you will be consistently successful. Put in the work to improve your skills. Love every minute of it. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm sure that is the key to success. And, and the opportunities out there for us blue collar hunters, I'm just amazed at all these hunts I find in these different states and these different units for these different animals and how inexpensive you can make it happen. There's so many blue collar opportunities and, and the next opportunity is just out there waiting for you. And we don't have enough time on planet Earth to explore all the good spots to hunt. We just don't. I've been doing it for, you know, bow hunting for, I, I don't know, since I was 13 or so. So, gosh, I mean, um, uh, 26 years now. Um, but really hard, like, since I've, in my 20s and I've been an adult and I really dedicated myself to it. So, you know, really, like, the last 20 years, I killed uh, my first bull elk when I was 19 with my bow. So the last 20 years, I've dedicated my life to it. And you just put in that much time and effort and you love something that much, you just get good at it. And I'm no different than any one of you guys out there. I'm a blue-collar guy that has a full-time job. You know, I think of myself as an athlete because I've been training so hard for the last 20 years. And it it helps to think, uh, you know, I, I, I keep myself in such good shape. I can count on my body. Like I have a lot of a confidence and I, you know, sure, I built in some built some of my personality around that about like my hard work and my work ethic and and um, my physical fitness and my shape. But anybody can do it. I, I'm not gifted genetically. Hell, I'm five, seven, you know, like I, you know, I wasn't gifted. Like I'm, I'm a little athletic, but I've just had to work for everything I, I've got in life. And, and learning that lesson was the mo- most important lesson for me, you know? So, oh. well, that, that was a solo podcast. I never know how those things are going to turn out. I just pretty much hit the record and talk about, uh, you know, what's on my mind and what I'm working on. And, um, you know, I, I think it's important to get your mind right and your thought process right and to be doing things for the right reason. And so 
uh, you know, as I as I finish off the year and I get thinking about things, that that's what I'm thinking about. I just love working hard. I, I love backcountry bow hunting. That's why I'm good at it. You know, it's uh, I've just put in the time, the effort. I've structured my life around it, and it's it's no different for you guys. And I know we have so many killers that listen to this podcast, so many guys that I respect so much that are consistently successful, that, that just accomplish the impossible year after year. And uh, just so happy for those guys. And I just respect what they do so much because I know the the work that comes into it and that success doesn't come easy, doesn't come easy. You know, anything in life that, that is really worth having, you're going to have to work hard at. And uh, backcountry bow hunting fits into that perfectly. So hopefully you guys enjoyed today's episode. Like I say, I never know how these are going to come out on these solo podcasts, but that's definitely what I'm thinking about coming into the next year. So uh, thanks as always for all the support, guys. Um, Oh, I had a, gosh, I was supposed to break in the middle there, but I have um, uh, Evolution Outdoors um, also sponsored this podcast, um, this episode. Uh, Evolution Outdoors, Dale Perry is the owner of it. Uh, He's just a great guy. I've really enjoyed getting to know him. I might visit him while I'm down there in Arizona. Um, he came up with the original grave digger broadhead, which I've been using for the last handful of years. They have a hybrid and a two blade, but that's not the broadhead we're using. The broadhead is the evolution outdoors. So Dale Perry ended up, uh, selling that company and he started a new one and started working on this new design of this broadhead. And he's been working on this design for the last handful of years. And he's finally got it to a place where he's really happy. He's got all of these, um, he's, he's compiled, a a group of friends or these shooters that are using these evolution broadheads and the animals they're producing is just um absolutely awesome and i can see why i use their broadheads this year they've got two different types um they've got their um they have their jekyll and their hide their jekyll is their fixed blade man that thing is a killer it's sharp in both ways front and back it's a four blade um the the blades on the front are a five eighths diameter blade uh, sharpened front and back and then the other way that one is um I think it's like an inch so it's a, a really uh uh small uh, uh broadhead that that just has um great aerodynamics and flight characteristics you know those those fixed blades can really blow around in the wind but these things man are they shooters so i have to use them in idaho when i hunt there they have fixed blade regulations um but i love this head i think it is a great head for elk it, it just um it penetrates so well like i say you know a couple pass-throughs through elk it just passes through them like a knife, like a hot knife through butter. Um, and then it's sharpened both ways. So if you get narrow into an animal, it's really going to do a lot of damage. Uh, and then they also have their hide. Their hide is their mechanical. I used that as well this year. It's got a, a 5 eighths blade on the front, sharpened front and back, just like the, the fixed. Um, and then it's a hybrid. It's got two blades that open up to an inch and 5 eighths the other way as it enters the animal. And just a devastating head. So... Um, Really, really pumped at these new heads. Um, Dale Perry's outdone himself. So this Evolution Outdoors uh, is the broadheads. Uh, make sure to check them out if you guys are in the market for a new broadhead, either a fixed or a, that hybrid um, or expandable. I call it an expandable, but it is a hybrid. It does have a fixed on the front. Um, they're both just great heads. So um, really pumped to have Evolution Outdoors aboard uh, Eastman's Elevated and thanks to their support. And I also want to thank um, Everly Stock Packs. They've just been a, a great company that has stood behind me from the beginning. Uh, they make great durable packs that pack the weight right. So if you're in the market for a new pack, uh, make sure to check them out and uh, try one on. And with that, 
hour and a half solo one got it knocked out so we'll get this thing produced get it out to you guys um have a good week um work hard towards your goals and uh enjoy the process